No? There we go. All right, all right. It's a beautiful thing. Let me uh, get my timer started here. I said my wife's out, and one of the gifts you've given me is uh, two and a half weeks with my grandson, my grandson. But, but you see, my wife came out on Wednesday, and one of the things I, I, I realized is every time I'm with my grandson, there's a slew of people that are grabbing for him, you know? Like you got a battle for the right to William in my family. So we'll see that at Christmas. And I've had like two and a half weeks by myself with William until my wife came out. And then it's competition again. And she's been grabbing him for uh, three days now, three days. We've been going back and forth. But uh, she's headed back on a plane today after this service. And uh, I'll have William for about 24 more hours. Because, of course, Tyler and Hillary are like, take him. Great. All you want. Go. Tomorrow. We'll come back. Whatever. So it's good. So it's good. But I am back. I am back. This is my last time. Still same pants? Actually, same shirt? All right, if you haven't been here before, you can ask the person next to you, what's the deal with the guy in his pants? What's up with that? Um, but if you have missed the last two weeks, I'm sorry, because um, really what I'll be talking about today dovetails with what we've started with first with this all pivots on grace. If you don't get the message of grace, then I don't want you to hear the message of giving, okay? Because, because that's where it starts. And then last week, we looked at all the gifts that we've already been given, as we, as we had our second, second focus on this text from Paul on living the gifts that have been given to us. And now we get to the third part where Paul says, here's the point. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let's hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us from the conclusion of this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, to encourage them to give, much like you just heard this morning, as, as Chad talked about, for this church in Jerusalem, uh, the, the church that was originally the Hebrew Christians there in Jerusalem, that now the Gentile Christians are giving money to support them in their time of need. So hear God speak to us through 2 Corinthians. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He has distributed freely, as it was written, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God. 
for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Thanks be to God for this, his holy word. Amen. Greed is good. Anybody remember that line? Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. See, in my daughter's desire to get me up to speed on contemporary illustrations, I've now moved into a movie from the late 80s. How am I doing? How am I doing? Michael Douglas is a Wall Street broker that's training Charlie Sheen, and eventually Charlie Sheen sells out his own father to try and impress Gecko and make millions on Wall Street. Who knows, Hillary? By the middle of my retirement, I may finally make it to this century, right? You're excited for that. Greed is good. The Apostle Paul, today in this text, says giving is good. Two views on how we live our lives and approach this world and the resources that have been given to us. Giving is good is what Paul says. And what I'd like to say is that the biblical concept of giving makes sense, okay, and it also makes sense. You got my pun? You with me? I told you, I need some affirmation to know you're going with me here. There's promises that Paul lays out in this section of Corinthians. The promises of the gospel that I think are profound. And Paul hits home with these as we start with that idea that he's laid out in the picture of Christ, who, though he was rich, became poor for our sake, so that we might become rich. That's the grace of Jesus Christ. And the conclusion that we heard last time, that Paul wants our gift to come from our hearts, not from a sense of extortion, of being taken from us. And he says, finally here, I want you to understand these promises. So I'm going to work through three promises today. The first one is this, in that first word. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. I love the imagery that Paul uses here, the imagery of gardening and the potential that's there in a seed, that there's work that the farmer does in planting the seed, right? But there's work that God does in multiplying the seed that we don't have control over, we don't understand, but we see the blessings of it as that seed bursts forth in life. And from a small mustard seed, said Jesus, if you have faith, the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. That picture that is there. So oftentimes when we hear this language of reaping and sowing, we think in a negative sense, don't we? I mean, isn't that the first uh, thing that comes to your head? You'll, you'll, you'll reap what you sow. But, but today Paul is inviting us to think of it in a sense of abundance. What if the abundance of our living comes from the abundance of our giving? And to see that at the more we're willing to put into something, the more we will receive as benefit and reaping the benefit of that. Paul is speaking of gardening. He's using that imagery. But Paul is speaking in ways that are biblical, too. I mean, you go to the book of Proverbs. We've got the scripture up on the screen here. Proverbs tells us this. Some give freely. 
yet grow all the richers. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want. A generous person will be enriched, and one who gives water will get water. The Bible speaks of that and holds that up as a promise that's given to us. Jesus also says this as he speaks in Luke. He says, give and you will receive. You will be given much, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. That's a promise that makes sense and makes sense. There's a word in there for us today as we seek to live lives of generosity. But you see, it's not just spoken of in Scripture. It's a truth that we see around us. I've been quoting this guy, Christian Smith, the Generosity Project, that actually did statistical studies on how people live. And he says this. He said, the first paradox of generosity is that it's good for those who practice it. The more you give, the better off you are. That's what he says the numbers prove out. The second is that despite these benefits, relatively few people are especially generous. That's the paradox. That's paradox. It's good for you, but very few people practice generosity in that way. Or do you know who Susie Orman is? She's like Oprah Winfrey's financial counselor. She comes on Oprah. Oprah, I think, is like this century, right? I'm getting there, folks. I'm getting there. Susie Orman, her 12th principle on, on generating wealth is this. She says the most important step that can lead to a life of true wealth is what? Investing in index funds? No. She says giving. She says giving. She goes on to say, our logical tendency is to hold on tightly to the little we think we have by clasping our hands in a suffocating grip around our money. The result of our tight-fisted ways is that our lives aren't open to receive what's meant to come to us. Oprah and Paul in the same sermon. How do you like that? How do you like that? So it makes sense, and it makes sense to live lives of generosity. But let me make sure you don't hear what Paul's not saying, okay? Because some Christians have taken this. We, we call it the prosperity gospel, you know, and then your giving becomes uh, designed to get more. You give so you get. The prosperity gospel doesn't start with grace. It starts with me and what I will get in the end. I think it was in the 70s that Janis Joplin sang a song. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Worked hard all my lifetime. No help from my friends. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? The band hasn't asked me to join them singing. But it's a mockery on what some people see 
as the Christian message and what's lived out by some televangelists that come and say, you need to make sure that God can bless me with a new, bigger Learjet. That's not what we're talking about. And that's not what Christian Smith is talking about. We, we go back to that quote that I used from the, from the, first, the first time we were together. And, and I said that Christian Smith talks about giving money, volunteering, being relationally generous, being a generous neighbor and friend, and personally valuing the importance of being a generous person are all significantly positively correlated with grace, greater personal happiness, physical health, a stronger sense of purpose in life, avoidance of symptoms of depression, and a greater interest in personal growth. That's what we're talking about here. Of those who so bountifully will reap bountifully. A life of generosity is a life of abundance that understands with Paul what he has said. He said, I've had plenty and I've had want and I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He's talking about his relationship as, with Christ as being sufficient. And that's what we talked about last week. Sasufi, you remember that French phrase? Sasufi, it is enough. It is enough to recognize the grace and the gifts that are all around us. I would imagine that in, in this group, I could, uh, I could call for a testimony here at this point. And, and, and I've said it this way. I've said people who tithe cannot afford not to tithe. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, people who have learned the benefits of giving would not want to live without the benefits of giving. But here, on the flip side, the paradox of that is people who don't tithe can't afford to tithe, right? I can't even see how that could be imaginable in their life. One of the things as a pastor, and it's, it's crazy, so I'm not a financial counselor, okay? I'm a pastor, but if I have a couple come into me financially distressed, one of the first questions I'll ask is, how's your giving? And they say, are you crazy? We can't give anything. We're pressed to the margins. Are they pressed to the margins because they aren't giving? And my pastoral counsel is, start tithing. Start living into this promise and see the blessing, the blessing that's there. Malachi is the only place where God says, put me to the test. And God says, put me to the test on this one. See, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and you will see that I'll live up to my promise. So uh, you're not coming to me as a financial counselor. You're coming to me as a biblical interpreter, and that's what I give you today. Amen? Okay, let's go to the second point here. I like this one a lot. Uh, the second promise is that giving joyfully, living joyfully go together. Paul says... Each of you must give as you made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Joy, my friends, is at the center of Scripture. Jesus in John 15 says, I've told you this so that your joy may be complete and my joy may be in you. I like this story from Nehemiah as he uh, calls for a party at the rebuilding of the temple. It says, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. 
This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord, when it's your strength, is reflected in your giving. God loves a cheerful giver. When giving is an extortion, or last week the word that was used when it is action. And, and I said, if you're, if you're here for the first time and you're sitting there going, okay, here goes the church again, man, asking for money. Here's the God tax that comes in. You've missed the whole point. You've missed the whole point. Joy, says C.S. Lewis, is the serious business of heaven. And joy is intricately connected with giving, with giving. Celebrating, celebrating, a cheerful giver. Um, I was thinking that today, I mean, it's too late to tell the band, let's change, change the next song. But what about if for the offering, we pulled out Cool and the gang, celebrate, good times, come on. I, I, it will work, right? right? And, and we had some of Mike's kids dancing down here. I was in Africa, and, and in, in Africa, the church I was in, uh, the ushers stood in the front of the church, and the band played music, and when you brought your offering forward, you danced. So... It was an awesome experience because there were a lot of people there, and they came down the aisle dancing. I'm leaving Harbor Church today, but maybe I could implement that as I go, you know. Let's start dancing the offering. But, but to celebrate as opposed to feeling like an extortion, something's being taken from us, or let me hold on with everything I have to this money. And again, this is, if I were pastor here, this is where I'd sit down and I'd say, let's get some testimony of some givers from this church. Because people can share with you the stories, and I know there's stories out there. I'll just share the testimony of my father, the way that, that this lived out with him. My father uh, was a pastor, and he used to buy ministers' uh, libraries when they retire, and he'd sell them. The whole business all of that money went so he could support causes. He had no greater joy than when he'd sold a library, made some money from that, sitting down and writing checks to every organization he, he could think of that he, he was a part of. He just loved that giving. And I remember towards the end of his life, he sat down with me and he said, Tay, he said, God has been so good to us. I mean, look, we're in this place. They were living in a place called Arbor Glen, a place where where the relative income of the people sitting in this place was, was up there. It was a very comfortable place. And he said, you think about the money that I made in my life. It was not much at all. But God has blessed us along the way. When my dad was uh, in Denver, I was in, in, in high school, he fell on the ice in Denver and almost died. He, he, he was supposed to die because of a brain hemorrhage. Um, but he lived, but, but he could no longer pastor a church. And so we had to move because we lived in a parsonage. Uh, so, so we had to move out of that parsonage quickly. My mom signed a mortgage note in Denver in the middle of the night because the housing market in Denver was so hot then. She'd never bought a house. We'd never owned a house. She didn't know what we were doing. It was a time of great distress. But three years later when they moved back east, that house in Denver had tripled in value. 
So they were able to move to Jersey again at a time when Jersey housing prices were going like this as well. They bought in at 90,000, they sold at 300,000. That's a lot of money in New Jersey. I know in San Diego, 300,000 won't buy you anything. But believe me, it was a blessing. It was, it was uh, reaping bountifully at that time in the 90s. And it happened again to my folks. And so my dad at the end of his life could sit at Arbor Glen and say, look at God's blessing, look at God's bounty. So the joy that went into his giving was coupled with the bounty that came from God's blessing to tie in a perfect harmony of a song that Paul would sing to us that would say, celebrate, good times, let's give, all right? And then finally, the last point. Well, actually, I've got another slide. Um, Biblically, this is true. Also, again, sociologically, this is true. Uh, go to the next slide here, because this is interesting, because this is uh, from, from a study that's called um, Giving Makes You Happy. Researchers have shown it uh, on a new brain collaborative, cognitive and emotional health project. The healthy brain have discovered that there is a physiological basis for the warm glow that seems to often accompany altruistic giving. Something happens in your brain that releases dopamine-mediated euphoria. It's associated with the same things for sex, money, food, and drugs. We should not be surprised to learn that people feel good when they do good. Do you feel that way when you give them the offering? This is great. This is great. Something is unleashed in your brain when that happens. It's joy. It's joy. It truly is. The final promise. That's where I was going. The final promise. I love this, especially with what you're talking about today. The final promise is that giving thankfully produces thanksgiving. Paul says this, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. The beauty of this transaction, says Paul, is that it does not simply address a need that people have, but through the addressing of that need, it produces thanksgiving to God. This is the difference about Christian giving. So if you give today to the fires up there, up north, uh, it's not going to go in your name. There's no glory that's going to come to you. It will be glory that's given to God to say thank you for the provision. As this community was in a time of need that God provided. I served on the board of the college that Hillary went to, Kathy, my wife went to, I went to. And, um, and one of the most Dicey dances was the donor naming ceremony, right? Because the idea in a college is you get a big gift and you got to put somebody's name on that building. That the gift won't come if the name is not up there. Uh, we had one gift that was given while I was a trustee that we kind of had to compromise on because the giver of the gift wanted to make sure that the soccer stadium was built before his son was done with college so that he could pay, play in the new soccer stadium with his name on it. 
So to make sure that we had the money to build the stadium, we said, okay, we'll set aside some of the things that, that we've decided it was about uh, a trust to maintain the building that we had to have so much money in hand before that, and we'll get that up there. That's not what Paul is talking about here. All right, you understand that, that, that this giving, the design, is that the glory will go to God. So the celebration of hope as you're helping women in San Diego to come off the streets to be blessed by them, it's not glory that's going to go to you. It's not glory that's going to go to Harbor City Church. It's glory that's going to go to God. And especially as we move into this week of Thanksgiving, I think there's power in this. One, to recognize where that thanks is directed as we give our thanks to God for all those things that we sing about and for the beauty of the earth that we have no control over that have been given to us as gifts. I heard somewhere that the toughest holiday for an atheist is Thanksgiving because you sit down at the table and everybody knows you want to say something, you want to pray to somebody, but if you've got nobody to say thanks to, it's kind of hard. But we come and we say, thank you, Lord, for the beauty of the earth. But I also think in an age of Gordon Gecko that uh, Bart Simpson may more accurately reflect our culture when he says, dear God, we paid for this food ourselves, so thanks for nothing. <laughs> but Paul says that's not where we're coming from. And, and even what Paul says here is the bounty that you receive is not so that you can go and buy a Mercedes-Benz. The bounty that you receive is for what? Do you notice that in this verse? That you're able to respond to others in need. So here's an issue today for the church in Jerusalem. It may be something else, but God's bounty that's poured out upon you is so that you're able to respond to any situation that comes up. That's what it means you shall be enriched in every way in order that you can give more. Hey, has this been fun? Huh? I started, I said, we're going to talk about money, and I want it to be fun. I want it to be a celebration. Now, um, I had, I had uh, coffee with your pastor, with Stephen Cooper this week, and uh, do you know this guy's got, like, Every coffee shop in San Diego, like on a spreadsheet on his phone, and he can tell you, I'll give a shout out to Hawthorne Coffee because he said, this is the best coffee shop that I've found in the city. Well, whatever, you know, that may hurt somebody else that's on that list. But, uh, but I said, I, I, I hope giving's improved while I've been preaching. He said, actually, it has. It's gone up dramatically these last two weeks, Taylor. He said that may be because somebody who usually gives a stock gift once a year chose these two weeks to give the stock gifts. I don't know. But, but I said, Stephen, you know, you asked me to preach on generosity. I, I, I mean, what, what's your hope for the end game here? What, what do you want me to close with? And, and, and he said, you know, I, I, I guess it would, would be an invitation. So I'm preaching for your pastor right now. An, an invitation for, for each of you, and, and we've tried to do that in the small groups, to take an honest look at where you're at, to be honest, because... The paradox that Christian Smith is, talks about is uh, everybody says giving is good, right? Nobody here is going to raise up and say greed is good with Gordon Gecko. You're going to say giving is good. And, and, 
And these three weeks, you've liked what I've preached. You know, I know that. You walk out and say, good message, good message. You're not going to go back to your pastor and say, you brought that heretic from the east here, and he started preaching all this stuff. You're going to say generosity is good, right? Everybody nod their heads. But the reality is that, that, that probably most of us will take these messages and we won't really be changed by them. We won't really be challenged. So, so what Stephen said was, I just hope everybody takes an honest look at where they're at and then moves to the next level, whatever you may see that being, to take that step of trust to step forward with God. It, it, it's kind of like, Everybody would say exercise is good, right? Right? Yeah, exercise is good. How many of you do it? Well, I should know you. Well, my, my, my son-in-law down here, Tyler, in the front, he's lost a lot of weight since I last saw him, you know? And I said, Tyler, what happened? You really slimmed down. And he said, he said, well, now that I'm running my woodworking business, I'm standing for like eight hours in my shop. And he had some statistic that standing... Like, in a month, you run four marathons if you stand, something like that. So he's lost all his weight. So I watched the University of Michigan game yesterday standing up. I thought, <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. So instead of sitting through the game and eating snacks, which I usually do, I stood up and I just had a few pretzels and that was it, you know. But that's the invitation to, to, take, the next, to take the next step. So, really, I close off. Just, just to sum it up now, just to sum up, these, these are statements that I know you would agree with, but I hope you move into your life this week. So, so it starts, giving is good. Giving is good. Secondly, I hope I've shown you that giving, it's good for you. Give. It's God's goodness in you. And give because a good God has given to you. And so I close off with what Paul says. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we've had together to look at this vision of life that we all long for, a life that's lived generously, reflecting the generosity that you've shown us in Jesus Christ, who, though he was rich, became poor for our sake so that we might become rich. And I pray, Lord, today that we open our eyes to the bounty that is before us, that you've placed before us, wherever we are right now. Some of us may feel that it's a time of great scarcity in our lives. Some of us may recognize the abundance that's there. But the invitation is to live with that sense that you have provided everything that we need, first for our salvation in Jesus Christ, and then for our life and the bounty that you have given us. And we can trust that, not just for this moment, but forever. We thank you for those testimon the testimony of saints who have lived that out in their lives. And I pray, Lord, in this room today, I pray in this room today that each one of us here shares a testimony of your grace that's reflected in a life that celebrates your gifts, and is lived through generous giving in everything that we do. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift that he's given us in Jesus Christ. Amen.